It was a larger church. And on Memorial Day, they had pictures of the fallen soldiers up in the, in the breezeway, the narthex. And a little kid went up and looked at the picture and said, Pastor, who are all these people? The pastor looked at him and he said, These are men and women who died in the service. The kid looked at him and said, Was that the first service or the second service? You know, today is Memorial. Tomorrow is Memorial Day this weekend. We're celebrating it in different different ways. And and this morning, I just want to share a little bit about Memorial Day. It actually it's a was first celebrated in 1865 by a whole bunch of former black slaves who went in and celebrated. They decorated the graves of fallen soldiers. They were really celebrating and remembering what the Civil War was about. For about a hundred years, they would celebrate it. It came into official being in 1968. The name was changed. It used to be called Decoration Day. And it was began to be called Memorial Day right after World War II. And uh, finally, it was officially changed in 1967. And of course, we, along with other holidays, it, it, it was originally done around the end of, end of May and was changed when they did the official Monday holiday bill. But for... You know, 150 years nearly, we've been celebrating those who fought and died, gave their lives for our freedoms in this nation. And uh, it's important that we still do throughout the nation tomorrow. We'll be remembering veterans. Some people will be remembering fallen sheriffs, police, firemen. It's time to remember those who gave their life in service for us beyond just uh, getting the discount at Guitar Center or Target or wherever else on Memorial Day, we need to really be remembering those who fought and died. And I, I tend to be a little patriotic. I've been known to cry in the National Anthem numerous times. Uh, pride swells up in me many times when I've been overseas when I've heard our National Anthem and when you're living abroad or even just traveling and you, and you see other Americans or you see your flag or you... Something has just swollen up in me with pride, and I love this nation. I'm so happy to be a part of this nation that was founded on the principles of God. It's founded on the things. Now, I, I'm not happy with everything we're doing right now. I'm not happy with where we're at as a nation, but I am still blessed and so grateful to be living in a nation such as ours. People, whether, whether uh, the reason to go into Wars have always been just. So many of the people who fought in them went in with the right heart to defend their own country. To defend the freedoms that we now sadly take for granted. But I also know that as we've taken some wrong turns in our nation, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves before me and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. Looking forward to some healing, but before that happens, we need to have some repenting and turning to God as a nation. We can't just ask His blessings on us as we turn our faces away all the time. More and more, we need to to stand up for Him. So tomorrow, we celebrate those who, not just in the service, specifically we celebrate, we remember those who died in, in the service of their country. 
Tomorrow we remember the 116,516 people who died in World War I. We remember the 405,399 people who died in World War II. Americans. These are Americans. We remember the 36,574 people who died in the Korean conflict. We remember the 58,220 who gave their lives in Vietnam. We remember the few who gave their lives, 383 in Desert Storm. I pray that all wars could end with such little casualties, but every one of those lives was important. And the 6,000, almost exactly 6,000 people as of May who've died in Iraq. And there's other places all around the world where men and women have fought and died. That's what, we are rep- that's what we're celebrating tomorrow. And I know that a lot of us have gone out and, and I've got more things in my house now that I'll get to sell at next year's yard sale that my wife has gone out and bought. and You know, just kind of buy it this year, sell it next year. And those things are great. We're going to get together other than today when it's freezing cold and we're going to barbecue or we're going to have picnics. But let's really make it an effort to remember those who gave their lives. This morning, I'm going to ask Jim Dennis to come. And there's a number of people who served in the military in here. But uh, as, as a representative serving in the military, he's just going to come and give a prayer of, of thanks for the men and women who, who, who served and died. Thank you, Jim. Mm. A few years ago, more than that now, more than 10, I believe it was in 1998, a movie came out. And I, I believe it was one of the, the heaviest, probably one of the most realistic, if that's possible, movies that was done on World War II. Uh, and that's just my opinion. 
Well, it was called Saving Private Ryan. And uh, this year, I, I hope I can get through today. I, uh, I had Matthew watch it with me for the first time. And uh, the first scene of the, of, the, of the battle, not of the movie, but when all those young boys are sitting in, a, in the boat that's about to launch on Omaha Beach. And I was going to show the clip, but, but, but even, even on the boat, you know, there were some of the men were throwing up because of the being seasick, but they're sitting there and the looks on their faces was just solemn, somber, scared. There was something in their eyes. They knew it was coming to some degree. And as the boat opens up and they rush the land, no one was really prepared for what was going to happen. And as, as thousands really were just slaughtered as they made their way up onto the beaches that day. Normandy, the, as they went onto the beaches in Omaha Beach, that was, that was the changing point in the war. Sadly, but with wisdom and resolve, the leaders, the generals, the president, they sat and they knew that thousands of people would die that day. Thousands would die just on the one day of storming the beaches, but it had to happen in order for the war to be won. Such a heavy moment, those young, young boys. So many of them. Later on in the movie, Tom Hanks, who played the captain, was given an assignment to go and rescue one soldier. One man of all the others whose three other brothers had died, two on the same day on the battles, Normandy there in Omaha Beach, and one who had died just a few weeks ago. And so their, their job was to go and rescue Private Ryan, who was somewhere. They didn't even know where, and so they took their little, their, their troops, and he was eight men, and they began to look for him. They didn't even know where to look, and they just began to march, and they had some ideas. And that's what the whole movie's about, is them trying to find Private Ryan, bring him back safely. And here's a spoiler warning, if you've never seen it, then, then you can leave now if you don't want to hear the end. On this path, some other men died before ever finding Private Ryan. They began to get angry and upset that these would go and and die and and you know go and search for one man. When they finally find Private Ryan, he's defending a bridge. He's defending a bridge that if the Germans get, it could shift the balance back over. They need to protect that bridge until the Americans, until the 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 Allied forces can come and keep the bridge so we could get in and continue the war. And Private Ryan wouldn't leave his post. He says, I can't leave my brothers. These are my brothers now. I can't leave. And so they stay in together, the small post with Private Ryan and, and the other eight people, six I believe now, they defend the bridge. And towards the last scene... Tom Hanks is mortally wounded and he's dying. And he says to Private Ryan, earn this. Earn this. 
These men who gave their lives for him so that he could live and earn it. What a heavy, heavy thing. How can you earn it? The end of the movie shows him at the grave of the captain, some of the people, and he's old man now, and he's he falls down and he cries. He says, I tried, I tried to live a good life. And he goes to his wife and says, Tell, tell me I've, I've earned it. Tell me I've been a good man. When someone dies for you, how can you possibly earn it? Is it possible? How can we live a life that's worthy of the death of people? As a nation, I desire that we would get a heart that would say, let us live a life worthy that those who fought and died for this nation, that it would be worth their sacrifice. But this morning, I want to talk to us as believers. For the one who sacrificed for the many, can we live a life worthy of Him? Should we? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, this is my theme, the text for this morning. And this, believe it or not, came out of reading in Hebrews, and it'll tie into Hebrews chapter 10 today, but we're taking a, a slight sidestep for our word. Lord, continue to be with us this morning. Bless our time. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. Colossians 1.10 says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. I don't know about you, but some of you this morning, even when I says, you know, can we live a life worthy of the Lord? My response outside of this scripture was actually, I can't. And God would never have us. And yet here it is. Live a life worthy of the Lord. I moved to tears over a movie of a, of a bunch of troops saving one man, and that one man then spends the rest of his life thinking, did I earn it? See, he, he couldn't earn ahead of time, so really what he's saying was, I, did I live worthy of your sacrifice for me? And I get emotional. It makes me think, am I living a life worthy? Am I living a life worthy of the Lord? This morning as we go on, I have four points to make coming right out of this passage of Scriptures. How can we live a life worthy of the Lord? Immediately I say I can't. So what's not written here directly is we need God's help. But we are called to live a life that's worthy of His sacrifice as believers. This morning... 
I don't want us to, to, to miss out when we hear the word work. So many of us go, but it's not by works, it's by faith, it's by grace. And so, I just want to give a couple of, of passages here. This is kind of out of order, but I want us to get this at the beginning. Because we can never, ever earn our salvation, but we can live a life worthy. Let's not get lost in the word work this morning. The word of God is full of examples of work. We can't earn our salvation, but yet, the Bible says that our, talks about our work in the gospel. It talks about our work in the Lord. Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ in Philippians 2. Paul remembered the Thessalonians' work produced by faith, and we are told to respect those who work hard in the Lord, who admonish believers. The Scriptures are there to equip believers for every good work. Overseers in the church are charged with God's work. And in Revelation, God says that He knows and commends our hard work in the Lord. Let's not get lost in the idea of, am I talking about a salvation of works? I'm not. But I'm talking about living a life worthy of the Lord. And that can't only be inward. Because we live life outward. We believe inward. We, we think. We believe. And those are inward traits. But we live out loud. Our life is out loud. And that results in our work in the Lord needs to be worthy of the Lord. Are we okay on that? Are we together? Yes. Amen. So the four points in this message, the first point, how can we live a life worthy? The first part in, in, in verse 10 that says, to bear fruit in every good work. One of the ways that we can live a life worthy is to bear fruit in our good works. How do you bear fruit? Well, in order for anything to bear fruit, if you plant a seed... In order for it to bear fruit, the first thing that seed has to do is die. It has to die. In order to bear good works, bear fruit, we need to die. John 12.24 says, When a seed dies, it bears much grain or much fruit. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, we who died to sin live any longer in it? We need to die. We need to die to sin. We need to die to self. We can't bear fruit unless we die. Your own wants, your own passions, your own desires, those have to go away and die to those things and let Christ live inside of us and then we'll begin to bear fruit. If you've been looking at your life saying, I don't see any fruit in my life, the first question should be, did I die? Or am I still alive? We need to abide. John 15, 2. Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. First we die, then we abide. We remain in Him. And, and I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, it's been, it's been a while, but I would abide and leave. So I wasn't really abiding. I'd kind of jump on and cling on for just a little while and then I'd leave. I wasn't abiding in Christ. I loved God. I was saved. But I wasn't remaining in Him. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know if I was using Him to feel better. Using Him to be saved. 
But I wasn't abiding in Him. My life wasn't resting in Him. I lived so much for myself. But in order to bear fruit, we need to die and we need to abide. Live inside of Him. Let His desires become ours. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If we're living inside of Him when He comes, we'll have confidence. But I remember the days. I remember the days that there were times I said, boy, if Jesus came back right now, I'd be ashamed. And I'm not saying I've, I've gone unto perfection and I never sinned, but there's a difference in my walk now. I still sin daily, but I abide in Christ. I'm not willfully sinning. I'm not running off on my own, doing my own thing anymore. Though I'll fall into temptation and I'll, and I'll commit sin. I'm trying to abide in Him. Live in Him daily. I haven't had a thought of God. If you came back right now, I'd be ashamed in a long time. I'm forgiven. His grace covers my sin. I'm trying to become like David who repented quickly when he was faced with his sin. David was a man after God's own heart, yet he committed adultery with Bathsheba, conspired, put his own men on the line, got some of his own men killed, killed Uriah the Hittite. How can you be a man after God's own heart? Because when he was confronted with his sin by the prophet, he repented. He was blind to it until that moment. But when it finally hit him, he was quick to repent. When you abide in Christ, when you live in Him, you'll sin, but you'll be quick to repent as soon as you understand what you've done. Second point. How can we live a life worthy? We need to grow in the knowledge of God, the Scripture says. We need to grow in the knowledge of God. I believe this is talking both grow in the knowledge about Him, of His character, and grow in the knowledge of God personally. We need to know Him more deeply. Head knowledge is wonderful, but without an understanding and personal relationship with God, it's useless. I know atheists who know the Bible better than most of us in this room. And it doesn't, hasn't done them any good of living a life worthy of the Lord. But we need to grow in the knowledge of God. Just a few scriptures. 1 Timothy 4.13 is one way. says, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to teaching or to doctrine. We need to be people who study the Bible. We need people who read the Bible. Give yourselves attention to reading. The next part, we need to be, give ourselves to actual study. So we read and we study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says... Be diligent. And these scriptures, as you know, notice they're on the back so you can write them down. So I'll move fast at times. Be diligent, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. It's cutting it straight. If we are, I was having a conversation this morning with Ray about, you know, th there are things in the Bible that are just obviously, absolutely black and white. And the only way that we can live outside of those parts of the scriptures, we have to twist the scriptures. We're called to rightly divide them, cut them straight, live the way it's written. 
But we won't know how it's written unless we study the Bible. Personally, make sure what's what I'm saying is true. Make sure what Pastor Jeff preaches is the truth. Be like the Bereans who were commended because they would go back and check the scriptures to make sure it was accurate. Don't rely on somebody else to feed you all of your life. Begin to study the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired word. Let me read this quote from Jack Hayford, who's one of my heroes in the faith. The Bible, God's inspired word, is the only conclusive source of wisdom, knowledge and understanding concerning ultimate realities. It is a fountainhead of freeing truth, John 8.32, and a goldmine of practical principles, Psalm 19.10. It's waiting to liberate and enrich the person who will pursue its truth and wealth. The Bible promises life. It's going to enrich our life. It's going to set us free. We need to be people who read the Bible, but go on beyond reading it and study the Bible. We need to be on our guard. Be on our guard. More and more, I want to encourage us, more and more as the time grows closer, more and more we have to be on our guard because the enemy is going to come in and try to detract us. Charles Spurgeon, I think I have this quote, it was... The world does not object to your being Christian for a time. If she can but tempt you to cease your pilgrimage and settle down to buy and sell with her in Vanity Fair. The world doesn't care if you get saved for a little while, if you become a Christian. It doesn't want to let you stay there. The enemy wants to come in. He wants to come in like a flood to, to believers and those who are right on the verge and who are, who are giving their hearts and lives and he wants to bring them off and get our doctrine off. We need to be on our guard. 2 Peter 3.15 through 18, the second part of 3.15. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote with you with wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. We don't want to be like those. So therefore, dear friends, since you know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be on our guard always looking and really understanding what are we taking in. Our understanding, our views are affected by the programs we watch, by the music we listen to at times, by the preachers that we're giving ourselves over to. Be on our guard to not let these things carry us away into false teachings. And I'll tell you, it's subtle. It's subtle. I've watched great men and women slowly drift away from true north in their belief in God and their understanding of God. And after a while, they're they're just lost. See, if I want to go to the back door, I can walk this way. I can also turn just a little bit and I'll still make it. But put my target further out. If I turn just a hair and keep walking, I'll miss it by miles. True north 
Be on our guard. Make sure our doctrine's straight. Our understanding of Him. So we want to we wanna bear good works or, or bear fruit in our good works. We want to grow in the knowledge of God by reading, study, being on our God, our guard. One of the ways that I believe that we can grow in the knowledge of God is by attending celebration. Coming together weekly here in celebration. Why? Because first Timothy four six, and there's there's a lot of reasons to come together. There's a lot, but for today's message, one of the things that we get out of coming together is found in first Timothy four six. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. As we come together in celebration, there should be good doctrine being taught. This is where we're learning. We come together to hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. To have those with other viewpoints, uh, other, other understandings of the Scriptures enlighten us. To teach us. But we always have the responsibility to go on ourselves and make sure it's right. We need to attend a cell, a cell, a life group. I don't believe that you can live life outside of community. And, and we, we all have communities. But some of us maybe don't have a Christian community that we're really fellowshipping with regularly. Be part of a Christian community, a life group. Proverbs 27.17 simply says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I've seen that in our groups. We come together and we begin to discuss the Word of God. And we sometimes we, sometimes we disagree, but we can talk, we can love each other until we understand what the Scriptures are saying. Left to myself, all by myself, my doctrine can go crazy. But as I put myself in relationship with people who I'm accountable to and who will work with, they can push me back and make sure that my walk is straight and I'm following the Lord correctly. Acts 2, 46 and 47. So continually daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily, continuing daily with one another in the temple courts and house to house. We need to be together, joined together in a, in a living community, in a godly community. Most people in here have community, but we don't all have a Christian community. It's important that we, we live in that, and that's, that's a hard thing to do. Because in community... Like family, no one knows you quite like your family does. After a while in life group, people begin to know you, the real you. And uh, it's a little scary. Some of you wouldn't want to get to know me any better. But it's important. It's important. On that note, I want to say that there are people in here who have no community. They have no family. And it's our job to be that community and family for them. Whether they look as nice as you, sometimes whether they smell as nice as you, they need it. And it's our job to look. Look for those who are hurting and reach out.
Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Be on guard. Join together weekly and celebrate the good things God is doing and get together with a small group. Those who love you and will walk with you. Third point in the message, we need to be strengthened in power according to His glorious might. Is that a first uh, out of Colossians? Colossians 3. The third point is be strengthened in power according to His glorious might. 1 Peter 5. Go with me there. I'm, going to read, I'm reading out of the New King James in this. We've read this. We've heard it. We've memorized some of it. But let's read it again. Starting in verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Cast your cares. Be steadfast. Be vigilant. Resist. Then God will strengthen you. We need to be strengthened in Him. You know, the Bible is often just a prescription for life. How do I do this? Well, do these things. They're promises. Do these things and God will strengthen you. So we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray. I don't have to spend much time here. We understand that prayer is what's going to strengthen us in our lives. We, we need to pray more though. We need to not just think about it. We need to pray. He told His disciples to watch and pray because the flesh is weak. How can we be strengthened? We humble ourselves. We pray. Jude 20 gives us another way to grow. To be strengthened. Had a good time in our, my discipleship time with Corey a few weeks ago talking about Jude 20 and the subject of this. It says, But you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Spirit. How can we build our faith? How can we be strengthened in God? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in tongues. I I don't have time to go on to a message all about this, but here's real simply, I believe what the Bible teaches about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It says that Speaking in tongues is good for me. It's to build me up if there's not an interpreter. It's to build me up speaking in tongues. If praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues is not open to all believers, that means that God has lied and He's a respecter of persons. Because if He lets me pray in tongues and get built up in my holy faith and doesn't let you pray in tongues to get built up in your holy faith, he must like me more. It's a real simple thing. 
God has given us the, a gift to be able to pray in the Holy Spirit. If we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and we can be built up in our most holy faith. We have to be strengthened. There was a time that I was when I was in Guatemala where I was ministering to to a wide group of people, lots of Baptists and Methodists and and non-charismatic people. And I didn't want to force the things of the Holy Spirit upon them. And so I, I didn't talk about it. But I also found myself, I, I, I realized after about six months, or maybe even a year, that I had slowly stopped praying in the Holy Spirit. And I noticed it in my life. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Jude 20. Ephesians 10. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. You can read that. It's the armor of God. We need to be built up. We need to have the armor of God active in our life. And it's not something you can just do in the morning and say, and that's great. There's, you know, people who do that. They do the motions of putting on the armor of God. Tell you, if you're living like the devil and in the morning you're doing these things, it doesn't help. The armor of God, they're not physical things that we can do. But we need to have the Word, the sword of the Spirit. We need to know it. We need to have faith and we need to have our faith built up. We need to be people of truth, having the belt of truth around us. That's how we're strengthened. Ephesians 6, 10-18. I believe in order to be strengthened, sometimes God's going to call us to fast. And that's not fast food, as in jack-in-the-box fast food. It's going to have us fast. Put all those things and just concentrate on Him and focus on Him and let Him speak to us. We need to receive from God. So the third point was to be strengthened in power to His glorious might. The fourth point in, in Colossians 3, how we can do this is joyfully giving thanks. Joyfully giving thanks. Now that's, that's hard to do. How can we live a life worthy? Joyfully give thanks. Twenty times in the book of Psalms alone, we are instructed, commanded to give thanks. Give thanks. Twenty-eight times to praise Him. We're commanded to worship Him. To praise and worship Him. We need to be people who would give thanks. You know what the will of God for us? Thessalonians 5. This is to give thanks. There's something about giving thanks to Him that gets our perspective right. It's going to help us to live a life worthy of Him because we're going to understand that He is the giver of all good things. In 1 Chronicles 16, 23-25, it says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. That's the same as giving thanks. And here's how. If Shannon makes me a wonderful dinner, and the next day we're out somewhere and I tell somebody and Shannon's sitting there with me and I says, oh, last night Shannon made the most incredible dinner. It tasted wonderful. and I could have ate five plates of it and it looks like I did. 
I have given her thanks even though I didn't say anything to her. Because I've praised her. I've sang of her. Declared it. Give thanks to God. But not just thanks God like our kids do. You know, we've got key, we got young kids still. Say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> not much different than the I'm sorry thing. The Bible says joyfully giving thanks. The side of understanding who God is to when we can begin to say, God, thank you so much. And, and I'll tell you, there's a way that we can joyfully give thanks more than we are doing now in general. Go to another nation. Go to another nation that has it so hard. And realize the blessings that we live in. God. Not thank you that I'm not like one of them. That's not a thankful heart. But God, I am so blessed. You've provided so much beyond anything. Joyfully giving thanks. And it's an attitude. There's an attitude. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. As the peace of God does come over us, we understand Him, it's easier to become thankful. But we're frantic, worried, and running around. There's not a lot of thankfulness coming out of worried people. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, and be thankful. It's inward. It's an attitude. Hebrews 12.28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. We don't live in the world like others live in the world. This world is not my home. This world is not the end for me. I have a hope and a future that goes beyond this. And if the rest of my days are are in suffering, it will be for such a short time in comparison with eternity. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. That message I shared about a year and a half ago, thanks Shalot. Thanks Shalot. As you give thanks to God, He gives you the ability to enjoy what you have. If we're sitting and worried and wondering and in stress and strife, no wonder we're not enjoying our days. You know, we still have a lot. Let's give them thanks for it. How can we live a life worthy of the Lord? Bearing fruit in our good works. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened in power according to To his glorious might. And what does it say in Colossians? It says, so that you may have great endurance. And finally, giving thanks to the Father. 
That's how we're going to live a life worthy of the Lord. When we get to the end of our lives, when we stand before the one who didn't just risk his life, but gave it freely, how will we feel? What will we say? I don't believe there'll be one person in this room who won't have any regrets. There's not one person in this room who won't have some sorrow over choices and actions. Because no one is righteous. No one is righteous. No, not one. None is perfect. As in sinless. We're growing to perfection. We're not lacking anything, but we're not sin-free perfect. If we could be sin-free, we'd have no need for a Savior. Remember, salvation is ongoing. The Word makes it clear that we were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's a process, and we cannot attain to perfection outside of Christ or inside of our bodies. Never will we ever be perfect inside of these flesh and blood bodies. So what's the point? As Memorial Day, we remember those who sacrificed for us. Christ's sacrifice for us is the greatest gift we'll ever receive. We rightfully and properly ought to be thankful today. We can't earn our salvation. We should live a life worthy of it. Our works aren't to earn it but to show that we're thankful. Living a life worthy of that sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Not just because we're saved, but also because we were saved. Not just because we are saved, but we were. Remembering where we came from. I want to let us know this morning, it's more than okay to let our remembrance of God's sacrifice spur us on to good works. Let's not get lost in it's not of works and stop working altogether. We should be spurred on to good work. His sacrifice for us, His love for us, His gift to us. We can't earn it, but we can live a life worthy of it. Let's work hard together in the Lord. Let's remember our Lord's sacrifice. Let's live a life worthy of Him and please Him. By being fruitful in our good works. By growing in our knowledge of God. By being strengthened in His power and by joyfully Giving thanks. I believe as we do this, our lives will become a testimony to those around us. We'll have said no to sin. We'll have said no to ungodliness. And we'll be working together to accomplish His great commission. Living a life worthy of His sacrifice. I've spent too many Memorial Days barbecuing, playing, shopping, without giving thought to those who sacrificed for this nation, who sacrificed for me. And if I have spent one day living for myself, building a bigger home, buying bigger cars, adding to my resume, expanding my own personal kingdom at the expense of Christ's sacrifice, then I have spent far too many days doing it. I want to live a life worthy of the Lord. I want to please Him with every day He gives me. I want to redeem the times because the days 
truly are evil. And they're getting more evil. I can never earn what he did, then I can never pay him back. But I refuse to cheapen his sacrifice by living below his best for me. I want to live a life worthy of the Lord. Father, this morning, we know that outside of you we can do nothing. But we're inside. We're in Christ. Old things are passed away today. All things are new. Lord, we desire from this day forward to live a life that's worthy of the Lord. We want to grow in our knowledge of You. God, we desire that our lives would bear fruit. God, we need to be strengthened in order to continue to persevere and live a life worthy of You. Lord, we know that our perspectives changed so that we could joyfully give thanks to You and recognize Your goodness, Your blessings upon our lives. Lord, this weekend we remember those who fought and died for our nation. But God, let us every day remember You who lived and died for my salvation. Bring Your Holy Spirit. Bring the believers to us to challenge and encourage us to continue to live a life worthy of the Lord. In Jesus' name.